RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Making it go like we do. This is Mission Log Live. Yes, Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. Other times, other places. As I say, it is Mission Log Live. No, I'm not a Packlid, according to some. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion, and each week on Mission Log Live, we say hello to our Star Trek pals. That would be you, our Star Trek pals, and then you say hello to us. That's really the fun part. Whatever is on your mind, whatever you want to talk about, well, that's what we discuss on this show. So click the link, pick up the phone, do the thing, talk to us. Our special guest this evening is Dave Rossi. You know the name. We had Dave with us once before. He has worked for Paramount in one capacity or another on the Star Trek franchise since TNG, way back in the TNG days. <laughs> He's had his hands in DS9, Voyager, Enterprise, feature films, and even themed attractions. Yes, we'll say hello to Dave in just a moment. And you can say hello to Dave as well. It's easy. Just click the Zoom meeting link on your uh, screen or use the one tap from your smartphone. You can dial us up as well. 669-900-6833 is the phone number to call. 669-900-6833. What do you do then? Then you enter the meeting code. Then you talk to Earl. But it all begins like this. 669-900-6833. We do thank you for joining us live tonight, either on Facebook or at YouTube at youtube.com slash Prod. Hey, maybe you're picking up the audio podcast later. That's fantastic. However you're getting here, we do thank you for joining us. As always, we do have one other favor to ask. However you're finding us, please hit like, please hit share, because we want more people to know about this, and then come and join our little, you know, Star Trek talking party. Hey, right away, as we're talking, and I'm reading what people are saying in the chat room, right away, people are saying, hey, Ken, cool pen. Are you going to have some cool paraphernalia in Vegas or as DCC? And yeah, we're going to get to that just a minute because we're going to show you the whole collection. So hold that thought. But I want to say hi to everybody. There's uh, there's Paul. There's John Cooley. Cooley. That was uh, from Casey. You know, Uh, Chris Riker. We got. uh, Oh, there's Casey. Say, where's my Cooley? There he is. Uh, There's uh, uh, Judy. There's Julian. uh, There's Homer. There's so many of our friends there saying hi. Say uh, hello to all of you. And uh, oh, see, Julian says it was 11 p.m. Atlantic time being all fancy and Canadian like you do. Uh, So welcome to everybody. And by the way, there's a handful of people here asking if we're going to interrupt this live broadcast with the interruption of the Apollo 11 live simulcast that they were doing on CBS on YouTube. That was so cool. I posted that on Facebook, Ken. I don't know if you saw any of it. It's like a a six-hour chunk of CBS with commercials intact from the day of the launch of Apollo 11. I have not seen that, but I saw the uh, the website that, uh, of course, they were talking about, well, that Allison was talking about on uh, Daily Star Trek News. Right. I want to say last week, um, there's a website where you can go and just sort of scroll through the whole thing real time, which is kind of uh, kind of nuts. No, I missed the thing today. But, yeah. Yeah. It, but, I, but I hear somebody awesome. taped it. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, apparently they did. And then uh, and the Dave points out that, uh, yeah, in VR, you can actually go to the moon. Again, that is our secret meeting spot very often before a VR show. We just go to uh, Tranquility Base and hang out on the moon and chat. So, you know, are, are we talking about Sensar stuff tonight? I can't remember. We, yeah, I don't do think you want to mention anything- 
Well, I don't think we have anything planned, but seriously, the first time we went into Sansar, well, the first time I went into Sansar was, I guess, about a year and a half ago, maybe. And they do have a fantastic museum set up that's dedicated to the lunar missions. It's like, it's, it's all the Apollo missions, isn't it, John? Or yeah. Is it just the, okay. Yeah. And, what, and it's, it's, I've always told people about it because it's just so amazing. You, you go into this room and there's this gigantic Earth globe there that's probably about twice the size of a guy. Mm-hmm. And it's got this red line going around it and around it and around it and around it. And then, and then it just takes off towards the other end of the room. And and that red line, if you if you stick your you know big virtual head in that red line, it starts playing for you the transmissions that were going back and forth between Mission Control and and whichever Apollo uh, mission you happen to be have your head mm-hmm. near at that point. Just absolutely stunning. I mean, yeah, the thing about going and walking up on the moon is pretty cool. It's neat to get that close to the lunar lander, but um, but there's a lot more there. And that's you know we're not even talking about a thing that we're doing right now. Just you know, <laughs> Sansar.com. They have a lot of really cool stuff. And this week would be an excellent time to check out their uh, their Lunar Museum. Well, it'd be a good time to check that out. And remember, if you sign up for Sansar, that is such a great segue into what we'll be doing at STLV. We'll, we'll get to that in just a second because Sansar is doing some cool stuff there. But they're also going to be at Comic-Con. Now, we don't have a direct tie-in with them at Comic-Con, but we will see them. We'll hang out. We're going to do the virtual thing. Uh, but if you happen to be going to San Diego this week, the Roddenberry, panel, uh, Roddenberry Presents panel rather will be at 1.30 Thursday afternoon, followed shortly thereafter by Mission Log Libre. That is our meetup on uh, the 18th at uh, 4 o'clock at Havana 1920. That's right there on Fifth Avenue. So come by, have a drink or two or three with us. Then we'll have the podcasters panel on Saturday the 20th. That's why we asked all of you last week in our poll question, is Utopian Star Trek passe? We'll get to those results in just a moment. And then uh, Sunday, Larry will be doing an interview with Robert Butler, director of The Cage. Do not miss that if you will be in San Diego on uh, Sunday. That'll be at noon, and that'll be in the uh, in the convention center. So I believe it's in room 29A. But uh, it's a guy who directed The Cage. And uh, according to Judy, Judy Leary, one of our listeners, she said he also directed the pilot of Moonlighting. That's for you. Really? Yeah. yeah. That's pretty cool. Well, then we have to, we, we should get him on. We should. Absolutely. That would be yeah. awesome. Well, hey, bu- bug him in the middle of Larry's thing. Because Larry's a friend. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> I don't that's think he'll mind. Yeah, that'd be great. All. Excuse me. Can you talk about the difficult directing decisions you made when Dave came in and saw Maddie for the first time? You see, that's just, so good. It just yeah. goes from there. Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, so then we got STLV after that. Right. Yeah. It's so weird. I think you and I are the only two people I know for whom SDCC is the pregame. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. Yeah. Because then STLV is happening. We've got a ton of stuff going on there, including because you asked, because you wanted to know. Yeah. See that right there? I can even take it off. And no, I think Earl might have some uh, some beautiful button footage that he oh. could roll. I'm not 100%. Yeah. But yeah, we got uh, we got uh, we got pins for our show for for both this show, Mission Log Live. I can't wear all six right now. We got mm. Mission Log Live. We got Mission Log, uh, Women at War, Priority One, The Track Files, and Daily Star Trek News. And then another show that's going to be joining really soon. Going to be talking a lot about that at SDCC. Uh, John and or I may have a handful of Mission Log pins at SDCC, but come by the. Uh, Come by the, uh, the the giant Roddenberry booth, and we'll have pins for for all of the shows and some other pins you might want to check out as well. Uh, and you can talk to us. So really, just all kinds of stuff. Um, 
plus the events. A landing party, of course, on the 30th at the Masquerade Bar at the Rio. That's usually, what, around 9 o'clock, 9.30, John? Yeah, about 9 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then Thursday, so we have a day to recover from the landing party. On Thursday, <laughs> there is the Roddenberry panel. And then after that, there is the mission log panel. And then is it Friday or Saturday is the RPN panel? I believe Friday. Okay, sure. Saturday. Yes. Okay. We, we will check yeah. and we will let you know for certain next week. Yeah. Uh, either Friday or Saturday. I believe it's Friday. I've got it in my head that it's Friday, but I'm not yeah. sure. But anyway. Hey, here's a fun fact. So we yeah. know the topic for the RPN uh, panel at Vegas. And, and that's why we asked the question last week, is Utopian Star Trek passe? Oh, no, wait, I'm sorry. We're doing uh, how to get to the 24th century from here. That's uh, the RPN panel. That, that'll be yes. the RPN panel, yeah, as opposed to uh, the RPN panel at uh, Comic-Con. Now, he, here's the fun thing. We actually don't know yet the topic of the mission log panel in Vegas. So all of you who are watching live, all of you who are calling in, because I know you're ready, you got your fingers on the button, you click in the Zoom link. Um, maybe you've got an idea. We're receptive. We're, you know, we, we love to hear your ideas and thoughts because maybe it's better than what uh, Ken or I could come up with in the next 12 hours before we need to email that off for uh, yeah. in the program. So let us know. Let us know what you'd like to hear us talk about at the Mission Log panel. Maybe with Rod. Maybe. We don't know. A lot of people don't know this, by the way. Receptive is French for desperate. Yes. Yes. Good point. Um, We're receptive to your ideas, (laughs) is is what we're saying. (laughs) All right. So that actually leads us very well to the poll. Uh, The poll uh, last week, we asked you a question about the SDCC panel. Ken, why don't you uh, tell us the results of that one? Now, the question last week is Utopian Star Trek passe. Thankfully, 13% say yes. Utopian Star Trek has had its day. I say thankfully because that means 87% say no. They think there's still room, maybe even more than room. Maybe it's a necessity. They think Utopian Star Trek uh, has not outlived its usefulness. And as we say here at Mission Log, long may you wave. Uh, John, there is a new poll question for this week. There is a new poll question. and I decided I wanted to uh, direct something a little bit towards some questions that I have for our guests tonight. Uh, so when we had Dave on last time, we talked about TOS Remastered. We talked about all kinds of stuff. Uh, but my one of my fascinations, not just with Star Trek, is themed attractions, theme parks. So I wanted to ask our listeners, have you been to a Star Trek attraction? And you might be thinking only of Star Trek The Experience, but oh, oh no, no, there is the Borg Assimilator roller coaster. There have been touring shows. There have been the concert shows, all kinds of stuff that falls under Star Trek attractions. 43% of you say, yes, you've been to a Star Trek attraction. 57% of you said, no. Oh, wait, I have an update. This is fun. This is just like real news. 39% of you say yes. 61% of you say no. So sorry to see those numbers have just shifted a little bit. Uh, But we can talk about what some of those attractions were what they are, what they might be in the future if, we, uh, if we're really nice to Dave. So that, that then is our question to you. And uh, what better time to bring on our guest, Dave Rossi, joining us tonight. Uh, like I said before, you know him as a longtime Paramount executive with deep ties to Star Trek. You may also know him as one of those key persons behind the TOS remasters. Joining us again on the live show, let's welcome Dave Rossi. How are you doing tonight, sir? Good, guys. Thank you for having me back. It's a pleasure. You know, not everybody gets that privilege. Uh, to, to come <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. So we're, uh, we're, we're glad to have you. Uh, before we get into it, I'm just gonna, what are you working on now? 
I mean, I've just, you know. Oh, well, we are working on uh, some Star Trek attractions for some overseas uh, parks that may or may not get built. We're hoping that they do. Uh, But uh, Star Trek is, you know, in the history of Paramount and now that CBS uh, owns it, but we still have uh, a great relationship with CBS and uh, and Star Trek is always a, a big component. So in in each of the the projects we're working on right now, Star Trek is an entire land. Wow. So, yeah. If you don't if you don't mind my asking, there seems to be if you listen to daily Star Trek news or something else. I don't know if you do or not, but other people who might be listening now, there uh, seems to be a recurring theme about some London based something or other that's like a Paramount in cooperation with the Cameras Channel Four or who it is. You may not be allowed to say exactly what you're working on, but since you already said overseas, I feel like I'd be an idiot if I didn't ask. I can't. Uh, I can't talk too much about that project, but yes, we are. Uh, we are, in fact, uh, th- this was a project that that we were involved with uh, a few years ago, and the project kind of went silent for a little while, but now it's back, and we are, uh, uh, in fact, our some of our team is there right now uh, in a design kickoff to talk about uh, about what it could be. So, yeah, that's so, uh, that's. A couple of, couple of years ago, friends of mine and I used to joke that a Star Trek theme park, this is how we saw a Star Trek theme park going. And forgive me if I told you this before, but basically you get in line for the ride and then a Klingon comes and like shoves his way in front of you. And then you spend the two hours that you're in line talking to the Klingon about why what they did was rude. And then that's the ride. You, get, you, you finish the line. And if you've made peace with the Klingon, you've pretty much done what you're going to do anyway. Uh. So, Ken, and, what and, you're saying is you've been hiding in our offices. Well, okay. But here's the thing, though. You've got stuff like Galaxy's Edge, which I haven't been to yet, but you've got things that are hugely immersive, but it's like Galaxy's Edge has Smuggler's Run, right, where you're doing a very Star Wars thing of getting mm-hmm. in a ship and going and trying to beat the thing and win and all that stuff, right? Yeah. How do you approach a today especially because i mean I, I i won't say anything dumb like you know star trek the experience built itself but we had tng we had those characters at the time there was a there was a freshness to it how do, how do you approach the idea of an attraction today when attractions tend to be you know lasers and drops and things like that well we do uh first of all it's being at paramount we have now the jj abrams universe to build off as well but with CBS's new um, font of Star Trek that's coming. You know, the when we talk about these parks, um, you know, it takes years to build these things. So we're still three, four years away from anything really becoming solid. Um, and CBS has, you know, expressed an interest in us being able to use some of their new properties as well. So we're still in the we're still in the discussion phase about what what all of these will be, but. Uh, but we have some really very innovative, cool attractions planned that people have never seen before. I mean, from an attraction standpoint, um, and and you know, the 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 mantra of the the theme park attraction is you go on the ride, and you know the story is as you're doing something, something goes terribly wrong, and so you know that. That's, <laughs> That's the, the way these things work. And, and, um, uh, and some of that is true in some of our attractions, and it's not in some of the others. So uh, we're, we're really hoping that, uh, that these things get built. And, and unfortunately, we don't, you know, as a licensing group, we don't control whether they get built or not. Um, there are investment 
companies involved and people who are trying to do these things. And we're licensing Star Trek and designing the attractions for them. But, uh, but the projects we're involved in right now, since I've been with this group, this is the most uh, excited we have been about the prospect of something getting built. So we're, uh, we're looking forward to hopefully unveiling something. I know we have a, I know we have a caller on the line and I want to, I want to get to him in just a moment, but I have to ask really quickly. Do you feel like, I mean, is that what's, what's driving that excitement? Is it all of the new Star Trek that's coming on the television? Is it the fact that there are now two Star Wars lands and an avatar land out there in the future that are making sort of like branded lands, maybe make a bit more sense? Is it residual from the JJ Trek? Oh, please tell me it's because of the Quentin Tarantino movie. (laughs) What is it it that's driving that excitement for you guys right now? We're excited uh, about the ability to to give people attractions that experiences, immersive experiences that they haven't been able to experience before, especially as it, I mean, personally, as it relates to Star Trek. You know, ever since Harry Potter launched, uh, that has become the new paradigm. It's, It's now creating as realistic as possible, immersive, very detailed environments that, that people who love these uh, franchises can enjoy in, in a kind of a real way. And so that's, that's our goal. I mean, that's what we're excited about, bringing Star Trek to life in a way that it really hasn't probably since Star Trek The Experience, and even Star Trek The Experience for as cool as it was. I mean, obviously, once you get on the Enterprise, that's a themed experience. And there was Quark's Bar, but it wasn't really Quark's Bar. And there's, you know, we're talking about really creating uh, immersive experiences that that uh, make you feel like you're part of that universe. And the best I, part I, is, if it's truly immersive, it has to be free. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, there's credits and Quatlu's galore. My <laughs> oh, okay, okay. My, my bad. I must have misunderstood. I'm sorry, John, I interrupted you. Oh, no, I, say, I, I definitely want to come back to this. Uh, like I said, this is uh, an area that really fascinates me about just the development of themed entertainment. But we do have Craig standing by, and uh, I think we should take his question, or hopefully, hopefully he's got a whole uh, panel mapped out for us uh, for STLV. So, Craig, welcome to the show. How are you doing tonight? All right, great. Hello, uh, gentlemen. Yeah, the Star Trek experience was great, and uh, anything that stopped by at Star Trek, I always go to see it uh, that you can experience. Um, that that's for sure. I I was I called really. You asked me last time what, what my first convention was like in 1973. Yes. That, yeah. Tell I, us. If, yeah. If you yeah, what I remember was first, like I said, meeting face to face with D. And then uh, listening to Gene Roddenberry being the greatest bird of the galaxy and the costumes, they were just awesome. That, that as a kid, I, I, Gene Roddenberry got me through the Idic, you know, the, uh, the animated series was my series. And uh, although I was into Planet of the Apes, I did a Planet of the Apes thing for about 10 years at the Star Trek conventions. I met Nurse Chapel um, for the first time at the convention and uh, she Let's see, I bought four Tribbles from that convention. And the rumor has it that they were selling, you know, six years earlier, they had the show Trouble with Tribbles and that they were selling them at the conventions. I, I like to think that I have one of those, but I don't know. Right. Uh, and, and my Quarter Trita Kaylee. <laughs> and lots and lots of people. That's, that's what I remember. 
that that's pretty amazing. Well, I mean, that that sort of is a uh, that that sort of is a themed experience. Then at that point, I mean, I think that's partly what the uh, the attraction is of conventions. I mean, you show up and there's a thousand other people around you who are wearing costumes and and truly and walking. Loving what walk. you love. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Being being connected with uh, w- with your passion for that thing. By the way, uh, Craig, bring, yeah. that tri- bring that triple with you. I'm sure that David Gerald could authenticate it for you. Oh, okay. Yeah, that'd be great. And and going to the convention. Yeah, it's like being with friends. You know, it's exactly it's amazing. And then at some point, I would like to talk to you, uh, uh, Ken, about the this side of paradise and oh. a couple of I know. <laughs> Are you are you coming? Are I'm you coming halfway. To I'm halfway. Partly in your cult. Are partly. you are you, are you coming to? It's not a cult, dude. Although, <laughs> no, although. No, that's you referred to it as a convention. That's I mean during the episode. If you if you listen to it, uh, really? episode twenty four. Yeah, it's been yeah. A, it's been a few yeah. years now. But are you gonna are you yeah. gonna be in Las Vegas? <laughs> Absolutely. All right. All hey, right. You know, so John, we may actually have our panel. It's an oldie but a goodie. <laughs> Oh man, that was the first episode I ever saw. That was the first episode you really? ever saw, really. And your parents let you keep watching it. Yeah. Far out. Oh, <laughs> yeah, but see, it's because of that you made me think Star Trek from a. I was like, what? You know, you had me outraged, but then I went back, and yeah, it was brilliant. I mean, it totally took me out. Now I watch Star Trek a completely different way. It, it was great. I, I have. Thanks, man. That actually means a lot to me. That's that's strange to hear, and I don't mean I don't mean that in any kind of funny way. That's it's always weird when when John or I hear anything like that. But I I really appreciate you saying that. It means a lot. That's awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, oh, okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you at the convention. No, excellent. Yeah, do. yeah. Please do come by the table yeah. and uh, and hey, grab a pin while you're there because <laughs> we have a couple. Oh, got it. <laughs> Thanks right. a lot, Craig. Hey, uh, 669-900-6833 is the phone number to call, 669-900-6833. Or you can use the one tap from your smartphone, or if you're on uh, on a computer and you're on the Facebook, uh, you know, uh, punch in the stuff there and hit the thing and talk to Earl, and then he'll put you on with us. It, it really could be simpler, but it's really not that difficult. Yeah. Hey, Dave, let's open up some old wounds with Ken. Um, so tell me, you <laughs> the first episode you saw was This Side of Paradise, what in the world did you think of that when you saw it? And and what's your take on that episode now? Well, I tuned in just as they were beaming down. So the first thing I saw was a visual effect, which as a, I don't know, eight-year-old kid was, you know, I hadn't seen anything like that before. It was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Then we got the guy with the ears. But the 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 thing that captured me about that episode was just uh, Kirk's force of will as we get towards the end of the episode. I mean, just the, you know, that he angered himself out of the, out of the sports. And I was like, wow, this guy is, you know, he's a superhero. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I, I, you know, I, I love the episode. I didn't know anything about any of the characters. And of course, so you, you obviously, uh, you know, see Spock go through his, uh, his change, but I didn't, I didn't really know anything about Vulcans or, you know, what had been established, but, but it was really Kirk that, that captured it for me. And, uh, it's hard for me to, 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 you know, if you want me to go back and give a, a more learned opinion about that episode, I, it's, it's so tied to my love of Star Trek and, and how I started with it. It's hard for me to go in and, 
and pick it apart. I'll watch it every time it's on. And it's, uh, sure. Uh, I always have a great time with it. So I, I, uh, I have nothing bad to say about it. <laughs> What's Ken? Ken, what, what is your, what is your. Oh, snap. Oh, I, I don't even remember. It's been too long. No, the reason it's an issue. I mean, it's not an issue. It's not a thing. It's fine, David. <laughs> um, it was, uh, it was that we had uh, So I think basically I said that Kirk should not have taken the people away from the uh, spore planet. And the reason I thought he shouldn't have done that was because while it was supposed to be like a whole illustration about the drug culture and how bad that is and all that stuff, uh, those drugs were working and they were working great. <laughs> they were happy. They were healthy. They were never going to die. And I know that's antithetical to Kirk because if you're not, if you're not working, you're not living as far as Kirk's concerned. But I mean, uh, take it on a case by case basis, I think. But and, what and, about, but what about those, those people's, original purpose for going there and their original drive to be there. That all gets erased. I mean, don't you right. think they were subverted by this? Um, I, they didn't seem upset by it. See, here's the thing. If they went there and they were subverted by it and their limbs were falling off or their hair was falling out or they were, you know, not eating anymore. I mean, what they found, my argument at the time and apparently it's still one that I can reach back and find because I haven't watched that episode seriously since I think we did that. Um, but um, once, okay. they, once they go there and once they are healthy, once they are happy, my assumption is they've actually achieved what they ultimately want to achieve, which is health and happiness. And so if the I thing they went so, there to do... At the, at the end of the episode, when Sandoval comes out of it, mm -hmm. his first thought is, we've accomplished nothing here. We've done yeah. nothing with what we set out to do. I mean, he's and he's got a look on his face that is that is mournful. He's not the, you know, the, these things uh, took them over, and uh, and that's a great symbiotic relationship, I guess. But mm -hmm. they didn't ask for that. Wasn't that also though the only time uh, the time that Spock said it was the only time he'd ever been truly happy? Well, that's uh, that, that's true, but uh, that's yeah. there. That's a bummer, man. They, they, they harshed his buzz. It's uh, it, it's too bad. No, I mean th this is like you can revisit the whole thing with our episode, and then then yeah. uh, you, and then with Mark Altman. <laughs> see, that's the thing. You've only hit half of it, Dave. The reason it really became an issue was because then people started lining up to come on and yell at me about it. And after a while, yeah. I was like, yeah, we can we can really talk about something else. <laughs> Speaking of which, six six nine nine hundred six eight three three is the phone number to call. This, by the way, John. Should not be the panel. I'm thinking. No. Okay. All right. Uh, maybe six six nine nine hundred six eight three three, or you can use the one tap from your smartphone, or uh, you can do the Facebook thing and uh, talk to Earl, and he'll put you on with us. Um, you know, the, the last caller mentioned uh, Planet of the Apes. Did you, Did you ever hear Mark Leonard's story about the trading cards that they took of him? No. No. Oh. He, he used to tell this great story about how. Uh, he played uh, on the TV show Urko, who yeah. is the, the gorilla head of the guards. Right. And uh, and he said one day they came down with a photographer and they were taking photos for uh, trading cards. And he said the, the horrible thing about the makeup was you had it on all day and you could only eat things that were very long or things through a straw. <laughs> so he said he was at the uh, craft service table and he was eating a long stalk of celery. And later, you know, six months later, the trading card series comes out and the trading card of Urko 
is him standing at the craft service table, <laughs> eating a stalk of celery, and at the bottom it says, Urko, the thrill of the hunt. <laughs> I love it. That's I've, I've, awesome. been, I've been trying to find that trading card, and I can't find it anywhere, but Mark Leonard told that story at a convention one time, and I just thought it was the perfect... Uh, <laughs> That's perfect so cool. Story. I love it. Hey, uh, I, I want to go back to the conversation we we're having about themed attractions and about Star Trek and, and Galaxy's Edge. First of all, have you been to Galaxy's Edge yet? I have not. All right. Neither have I. But uh, soon enough, this will happen sometime. Yeah. Um, and the thing that I think is so intriguing about it is the idea that it is so immersive and the the story is your story being in that place as opposed to passively watching something happen in front of you and say you know this is luke's story or this is ray's story you know it's a new thing it's a new place speaking the star wars language but it it becomes your adventure there and the characters there to interact with you so that you walk away with a wholly unique and and wholly realized and immersive experience from it um I, I kind of go back to Ken's question, which was, you know, how do you make Star Trek do that? And I'm not asking you to give away any secrets here or talk about what it is that, that might be in development or whatever. But um, it, it seems that in Star Trek, there is a lot of standing around talking. It seems that, you know, violence is a last resort. Now, there, of course, is the exploration angle, going someplace to learn something, to discover something. Um, but I, I kept asking myself, you know, what is it about Star Wars that is different from Star Trek that makes that so ripe and ready for that type of themed entertainment? And and maybe we haven't quite gotten it yet with Star Trek, even though there's this vast library of Star Trek entertainment and Star Trek, the experience was very successful. But but even you were saying it wasn't it wasn't quite that. No, as an overall as an overall uh, theme, it wasn't. I mean, I think what they did with the story of, you know, the reason you get beamed to the Enterprise uh, was clever. It was, you know, somebody, Klingons monkeying with, with uh, the timeline because one of you is an ancestor of Captain Picard uh, or a predecessor of Captain Picard. So, I mean, that, I, I thought that was a clever idea mm-hmm. um, and, and a way to kind of put you in the story. Uh, this is hard for me to answer because I can't talk about what, right, right, what we're doing for the land. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it, when you when you watch Star Trek, you don't want to be a. No offense to somebody like, uh, uh, you know, the colonists, but you don't want to be a member of the colonist team. You don't want to be a member of a merchant marine squad. You don't want to be a member of the guys flying around on the Antares. You want to be a member of. Yeah. You, you want to be on the, you want to be on the enterprise crew. You want to be the yeah. Federation. So yeah. um, let's, let's just leave it there. <laughs> I, like the, I will tell you honestly, though, I like the idea of a vacation package where it's like, yeah, you're a colonist. You can, you can stay. It's like, <laughs> It's half right. price. We may ask if we can shoot you like one day out of five. Yeah. And, and sadly, you're not allowed to talk to anybody who's actually doing anything. <laughs> sort of, you can talk to other people who are like, you know, in line for food with you or, you know, digging in the herbs with you. Otherwise, so yeah, just stay away from anybody in the uniform, basically. Because otherwise your, your ticket costs twice as much that day. 
669 is the phone number to call. 669 Or you can use the one tap from your smartphone or uh, do Facebook and then punch in the meeting code and talk to Earl and he'll get you on with us. Dave brought up something interesting before we started the show about the, oh God, the fatigue that people had having two whole Star Trek series on at one time. We're going to get to what's coming up in just a bit. But first, uh, do we have other things that we want to do at this point in the show, Mr. Champion? We do. Just a tiny bit of business here, an important piece of business, though. And uh, I invite all of you who are in the chat right now to say hello to Scott Palm. Uh, he's there and he's, oh, look, he's already got a, a, a recommendation, Dave. You might want to take this one seriously. Recreate the Enterprise Bridge from Discovery. I like the way you think, Scott. Well, I don't just mention Scott because he's full of good ideas. I mention Scott because he is the focus of our fundraiser. It's the Scott Palm Heroic Curriculum. Now, Heroic is the uh, the curriculum that he has set up in conjunction with Pop Culture Hero Coalition, which was founded by our friend Chase Masterson. Now, the Heroic Curriculum has two goals. The first part is to teach children who have serious physical disabilities values like resilience and having a healthy identity, breaking barriers, and other crucial mental health and life skills. The second approach is about teaching the peers of those children who have disabilities values like inclusion, ending marginalization, and being an ally. Now, we started this fundraiser a couple of months ago. We are going to continue throughout the summer because we have our eyes on the beginning of the school year and then October, which is Bullying Prevention Month, a perfect time for this curriculum to go wide in schools. Now, if we reach our first goal and we are more than halfway there, Scott's program can start and then run a full six months. It is great work. It is important work. And it's not the easiest work due to Scott's cerebral palsy. Yeah, so right now, the Roddenberry Foundation is joining with you to help Scott help the world. Go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash missionlogprod. You will see a link there for the fundraiser. Every dollar that you give will be matched by the Roddenberry Foundation. You'll be contributing to something that truly embraces the values of Star Trek and puts it into action. And remember, the Roddenberry Foundation doubles your donation. A dollar becomes two dollars, five dollars becomes ten, twenty, twenty-five becomes forty or fifty bucks. Facebook.com slash mission log pod. Look for the post, make a donation, even if you can't right now, share the post. You'll find it there at Facebook and on our Twitter address, same handle mission log pod. We would certainly appreciate it. And it might even make the world a better place. Six six nine nine hundred six eight three three is the phone number to call. Six six nine nine hundred six eight three three. You can use the one tap from your smartphone, or you can go to facebook.com slash mission log pod. Uh, retweet the the uh, heroic foundation uh, uh, the, the fundraiser that John was just talking about, and then skip on down and uh, click the one tap and do the thing. And I I get lost on what I'm talking about, John. I apologize. <laughs> all right. So before the show started, you, uh, you we were all chatting and. You mentioned uh, franchise fatigue, which was something that people talked about around 2003, which was when you had the, uh, well, I guess we hadn't had movies at that point. No, Nemesis had happened very recently. Mm -hmm. Uh, You had, of course, Enterprise, and you had just come off Voyager relatively recently. Mm -hmm. And people thought maybe, eh, maybe people were a little tired of Star Trek. Maybe it's time to sort of scale that back a bit. This time next year, there is a chance that there'll be five shows on at once, or we may enter a time where it's just like, you know, a show ends and a new one begins. And this is the 
uh, Rick and Morty driven, uh, not Rick and Morty, obviously, because that'd be something. <laughs> Mike but the guys, right, Mike McMahon, the guys behind Rick and Morty doing a Star Trek series. There's a Nickelodeon Star Trek series. There is uh, the Picard Star Trek series. There's season three of Discovery. We know there's a Section 31 show out there somewhere. And then there are short tracks and there's other stuff. Academy, possibly, you know. They, I've they moved mentioned. to a second hand at this point. I mean, yeah. we're, we're up to at least seven possibilities out there, five that I think we know, know are going to happen. Um, what's your thought on the uh, talk 15 years ago of franchise fatigue? What's your thought on all of the Star Trek that's coming now? Um, uh, hit any of that in any order you want. Uh, I never believed that the franchise fatigue was a thing. I I understand why, uh, you know, every time it, the studio came to Rick and asked him to develop a new show and as quickly as they were doing it, uh, he said no every time. But every time they said, if you're not going to do it, we'll just give it to somebody else. And he, he felt that, that Gene had turned this thing over to him. And so he wasn't going to give it to somebody else. He felt he needed to to honor that and do it. And so, you know, after fighting with the studios, he, he relented and he would put together a new show. Um, but his, his thought was let the show rest, let the, the franchise rest for a minute and let people kind of catch their breath and get a, a, get a hunger for it again. But I think the world has changed. I think with, uh, binge TV and the ability to, uh, to ingest so much media. Uh, I think discovery has proven that, that people are hungrier for Star Trek than they've ever been. And there's an entire new, I mean, I, I go on the social media, the platforms and, and uh, I'm astounded that there are so many people who discovery is their first show. I don't know why that astounds me, but, but uh, you know, I'm so used to talking to people about the established history of these shows and from enterprise backwards that um, I, I forget that I'm getting older and new people are entering the world, <laughs> but uh, um, you know, it's really heartening to see. And I, I think, I think that doing multiple shows like this and what CBS's plan is, I think feeds different people, different things that they want. The, the, I think the big flaw of Star Trek fans has always been, you you every new show that comes out is a mess it's that's not the show that came before that's you know there's there's always this attack on star trek immediately when a new show comes out and uh, and then people kind of find their way and it's you know it, it turns into whatever it's going to turn into but i don't believe in franchise fatigue i think that's i think that's false what, do you think, I mean, forgive me for uh, pressing the point a tiny bit. Do you think that was an easier thing to argue when there were between 30 and a hundred channels, depending on what kind of market you lived in? I mean, when, when you had fewer choices and, and two of them were Star Trek, do you think it was easier to argue that that might be the case? Because, I mean, as you pointed out, I mean, everybody in their cat is producing like, you know, original content at this point from giant tech companies to people like Hulu, which just used to rerun other people's stuff. Netflix would build itself, you know, rerunning other people's stuff. I mean, now almost everybody has a video thing of their own, which means, I mean, is the idea of fatigue less likely now because there's just so much I, more to watch? I don't, I, I'm certainly that's possible, but I don't think Star Trek fans got tired of Star Trek. I think that, 
Um, look, the shows that were being put out back then, they were largely formulaic. I mean, it was, uh, uh, the, the way that they were put together, there, there weren't a lot of chances taken. And, and I think maybe we didn't evolve as quickly as the audience was evolving. And so I think that became a problem, but I don't think it was for lack of liking Star Trek or, uh, you know, if you, if you're a Star Trek fan, you're going to watch Star Trek. The, the, I've never talked to anybody who said, I just got tired of Star Trek. It was, I didn't like enterprise. It was, I didn't, you know, DS nine was not my show. It didn't, it didn't, you know, and I think you have that today. I think there are people watching Discovery, and there are people aren't, who aren't watching Discovery. But I don't think um, I don't think if you launch Picard now, um, and you have two shows going, and then you launch this animated show, people are going to start saying that's too much. I'm, <laughs> you know, I can't do this anymore. I don't, I don't think that's I don't think that's that's what's happened or what will ever happen. I, I'm still kind of a firm believer that, you know, the the delivery, like you were saying, Ken, the delivery platform has a great deal to do with the success or the failure of a show. And somebody in our chat here is just mentioning, you know, UPN at the time, if they no longer wanted to be the Star Trek network, which had been something that had been talked about since the 70s before there was a Star Trek motion picture, um if the network identity isn't uh, fully invested in it, if the numbers aren't there to support it and that's all you've got, then where do you go? Um, I firmly am a believer in the CBS all access model. Come at me um, because I think it is the only way right now to ensure the success of Star Trek Um it may not be for all Star Trek. There might be other places that it can exist. There might be uh, uh, other opportunities. We're talking about two different animated series that might have two different audiences. But it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, that um, the bar of success has shifted so much between what I need on a network and what I need in a wide theatrical release versus what I need on a streaming platform that I can watch on my phone or watch on an Apple TV. It, it just seems like the market is completely different now. And that actually opens up the opportunity for more Star Trek, not less. I, I believe that's true. I also believe that, that having it centralized like this with, you know, this is not, they're not selling it to a network. They're not selling it to, <clears throat> to some other distributor. This is CBS honing its number one franchise. Well, maybe, you know, maybe CSI is their number one franchise, but, <laughs> but in my mind, Star Trek is their number one franchise. Um, oh, you just gave me an idea, though, for a, for a new amusement park is CSI, but you know, the, the half-price tickets are, you're a dead guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like, good. Exactly. Good. Solve the crime, yeah. Can, can you be still for six hours? Well, then you get in free. Well, half-price, you know. <laughs> by by the way, uh, not, not to get us totally off uh, off track here, uh, T.L. Coco, Tracy Lee says, love all you guys. Love back to you, Tracy. Nice to see you. Hey, here. Tracy. Yeah. There we go. Tracy <laughs> and I once, uh, we went to, uh, uh, for those of people who don't know, Tracy was an extra on the show. You see her all the time on the show. Um, but we would do these little traveling shows where uh, it was Tracy and a guy named Michael Braveheart, who you always saw in, uh, sick bay whose nickname was Dr. Death <clears throat> because somebody usually died when he was in the scene. Uh, <laughs> but, 
but uh, Tracy and uh, Michael Braveheart, and there was a couple other people, um, uh, Cameron Oppenheimer, who uh, often played a security guard. Uh, we we would go on to these, you know, people would want um, Star Trek aliens to show up at E3 or at, uh, you know, whatever whatever the, the convention du jour was. And I remember we we, uh, we went to Florida one time to, to do when it was right after the Northridge earthquake. And they put us, uh, we were in this uh, hotel uh, and had rented out this huge suite that we were using as a wardrobe and makeup staging place. But above us was the parking structure for the hotel. And so here we are fresh from the earthquake here in California and we're putting makeup on and the, the, a lot of the people working there were from Florida. And so every time a car drove onto the roof, the whole room would shake a little bit. And the, you know, six or five or six of us from California would freeze and stand up, you know, you know. <laughs> and every time these, all these people from Florida were like, what are you guys doing? Cause we'd look at each other like, Oh my God, it's happening. Uh, but, uh, but uh, good times, Tracy. <laughs> I just want you all to know if anything like that happens, I'm going right under this table and those models in for themselves. Okay. <laughs> it's it's good to see them, by the way. I forgot to actually pay attention to whether or not they had survived from the one a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, right. But, yeah. yeah, not all nearly good. as bad. Uh, 669-900-6833 is the phone number to call. 669-900-6833. Or you can use the one top of your smartphone or... Um, or uh, the Facebook thing. Why am I blanking on the Facebook? Click on the thing? Zoom link, Ken. You click on the Zoom link. That's click on the Zoom link in the Facebook, yeah. and then we actually have uh-huh. the code. The meeting code is right there, and then Earl will virtually take your hand and walk you through the process of coming out with us. <laughs> can I go back? Forgive me. Can I go back to something again about the... I don't, know if I, should do, I don't know if I should do this or not. No, no. Although I've got another idea for a theme park. This one's going to be a bit more difficult because it involves illegal substance. But stick with me because I think it's a winner. Um, right. No, it's so, I mean, it does go back to the theme park thing, though. Uh, thrills versus ideals. I mean, how do you do that? Forgive me. And we may have hit on this before, but I'm, I'm thinking like, I'm an idiot. All right. You said you want to be in Starfleet. You don't want to be one of the colonists. I kind of want to be one of the colonists, Dave. <laughs> I mean, is there, is there, is there, can you envision or how do you envision, or do you guys worry about envisioning an idea for a, for an attraction that doesn't blow anything up? Like, it's funny. Cause you said, uh, you know, the, the idea is, um, you know, you're on your way to do something, then something terrible happens, right? And I was thinking, what a great ride It's a Small World would be. <laughs> like halfway through. At the same time, you're just going to end up with something like that petroleum exhibit that they're closing down at Epcot to put in the Guardians of the Galaxy or something like The Land. I mean, is there... No, there, is there yeah, yes. And certainly there are uh, more pastoral things you can do. There are, you know, if you've ever been to Soarin' Over California... Mm-hmm. for instance, which is... Well, it used to be Soaring Over California, which was awesome. Now it's Soaring mm-hmm. Over the World or something, which oh, is uh, a, yeah. uh, not quite as good. No. Yeah, but uh, but that, uh, you know, using those kinds of uh, those kinds of systems and those kinds of attractions allow us to do it. I'm not saying that the entire park is, um, or the entire Star Trek land in each park is those, but those are the E-attraction rides, the high-energy mm-hmm. rides are 
something goes wrong. But there certainly are other things. There are, well, I can't say, but there are, uh, <laughs> there are other attractions that would appeal to you, Ken. Excellent. Um, okay, I look, no I look forward to it. Though, I'm, I'm afraid because that, that's all I look. That's really all I care about is what would appeal to me, and everybody else can just you know. <laughs> uh, I do have another idea for a ride, by the way. Remember that weird thing where they where they go shooting around the sun in Star Trek Four and everybody's oh, face, and you know, and just like that glass heads, yeah, yeah just yeah. that like a 3D ride. Because I'm pretty sure people would love to. <laughs> Six six nine nine hundred six eight three three is the phone number to call. Six six nine nine hundred six eight three three, or you can use the one tap from your smartphone, or go to Facebook, click on the Zoom link, and the, enter the meeting code, and then you will be talking to our good friend Earl. Um, really quickly, I want to remind people about all the other podcasts that are available on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. You don't want to stay tuned, by the way, because we're going to do the thing here coming up where we're going to record some of our panels and then put them out. I would imagine one of them is going to replace a regular mission log, but then uh, mostly they're going to be in the supplemental place, which means they'll come out on a Monday. We have a new show coming up on the uh, Roddenberry Podcast Network, which we're not announcing yet, except that we're announcing that we have a new one coming up. The place to find out about it, if you're not at San Diego Comic-Con or if you're not at STLV, is uh, is podcast.roddenberry.com, which we encourage you to check out because uh, not only will you find this show there, not only will you find Mission Log there, but you'll find all the other things that the Roddenberry Podcast Network is doing. That's that's Women at Warp, that's Priority One, that's the Trek Files, and that is Daily Star Trek News. Um, we would love it if you would go there and check that out. And if you've already checked it out and you already know about all of them, just like we said before, tell a friend because we would love for more people to find out about all the great shows that we have on the network. Um, there's not quite something for everybody, but there's a lot for a lot there. I mean, we're, we're tackling as a network, we're trying to tackle Star Trek in a number of different ways. And, um, and we're looking to have those ways grow as well. So plenty to check out. Please do podcast.roddenberry.com. Ken, I've got an idea for an attraction at a theme park. It's, uh, it's the Mission Log Experience. Uh, you invite a virtual Dave Rossi into the room and you just corner him into not being able to answer questions <laughs> about the topic at hand. That's an excellent That's, idea. Yeah, ask me right. another. <laughs> right. Well, obviously, you know spoilers about the Picard series because you're obviously building a ride about that. So go ahead and dish, Dave. That'd be, that'd be fantastic. If you don't mind. I'm sorry. I think you were... John, I apologize. I think no, I no. I, I do want to... I, I want to change topics a little bit, even though I, I could talk and not get answers about theme park stuff all night. Um, I, I really... I, I want to change topics a little bit here because Dave has been in such a unique position over your long years at Paramount. And, and I'm thinking back to the conversation we had last week with uh, Terry J. Erdman. So here's a guy who was on set all day, every day with DS9, uh, with only a few exceptions here and there where you couldn't be there. But, but that is a, a totally unique position. Look, actors who are on set, they're not working every day. Directors work an episode here, skip time, work an episode there. And they're not necessarily uh, getting the, the bird's eye view of the entire production. Dave, you're one of the few people who you were just describing, you know, you work for Rick Berman, you uh, you were not only on set and in production and behind the scenes, but uh, you were actually taking people out on promotional events as well. So you've had such a wide and weird variety of connections to Star Trek, probably over a longer period than 
really anybody that I can think of. You, you have outlasted now the Berman era uh, of Star Trek. So you are still involved on a studio level with what comes in and out of there around Star Trek. I'm curious now, A, what has been the most gratifying and exciting of that? You know, it, was there something you could really point to and go, wow, that, that's really, that's the golden period of, of my work on Star Trek. And, and, and B, what do you want to do next? Because you, you've kind of, you've done it all. A golden moment. Uh, or job or, or experience, you know, yeah. And I'm willing to get down to like a 10 minute period on one day, you know. I mean, it's a Star Trek remastered is, is probably the personal high point only because my passion for that show, my love for that show, you know, I mean, it's, uh, I was swallowed whole by that show and, uh, you know, where, where everyone of my contemporaries had that picture of Farrah Fawcett and her red bathing suit hanging on their walls. I had the enterprise. I mean, it was that, you know, it's, uh, so the, to have the chance to go back into the original series and uh, enhance those visual effects. To, and I know there's a, this gets to a, a sore spot for some people, but, and, and it was my initial advice to them was don't do it because I was afraid that you'd have somebody, you know, having the enterprise do barrel rolls and, you know, and the focus would be on the visual effects versus the story, which I, I thought would be a horrific mistake as, as did Mike Okuda. Um, and so we, we, you know, we held it back quite a bit when we were, when we were recreating these shots and, and creating new shots, but the ability to do that, to go back and enhance something that you loved so much as a kid and continue to today, that had to be the the top spot. Um, but a, a close second is um, when I got the job on next generation, I was a, uh, I started two, three months before we started filming. So I, and everyone was on vacation. There was just a very skeleton crew there um, while we were getting ready to gear up. And so I would go down to the sets and they would all be covered. You know, that you didn't, you couldn't see anything. The carpets were being replaced. Everything was being repainted. The panels were being replaced. So it became a job very quickly. There was no eye candy to kind of grab me. That first day of filming, when I walked into the engine room and the engine, the warp core was pulsing and the pool table was lit up and there were people in uniform walking around. I mean, that, uh, that was the, that was a seminal moment. I mean, I, I just kind of stopped and had to take it in and, and someone had to kind of nudge me out of my, <laughs> my stupor. I mean, it was, that was a, that was a big moment. And, uh, um, uh, so the, I would say those two moments and, and, uh, and I also had the chance to have lunch with William Shatner. And, uh, so he and I had lunch and this is captain. I have two heroes, captain Kirk and the guy standing behind me, and I'm never going to be able to walk into a room and meet the guy standing behind me. But, uh, having, having lunch with William Shatner was probably uh, another, uh, crazy high point of my career. Yeah. 
for the benefit of uh, the people listening to the audio podcast, the guy standing behind him is holding a knife. No, he's uh, it's it's Superman. He's got a cut out of Superman behind him for people who are not watching the video part of it. I got a question for you. Um, having been around as much Star Trek as you have, especially nobody had seen Next Gen before Next Gen was made. Nobody had seen DS9 before DS9 was made. People had seen Kirk when J.J. Abrams went to the Kelvinverse. Uh, people had seen uh, Sarek when Michael Burnham shows up as a member of his family. People have seen Picard. You, you're, given, you're given free reign. Somebody forgets to turn off the lights and you go in and you find everything and you change it all and it's the way you want it to look tomorrow. Is Star Trek going to create something completely new in the, uh, what should we call it? We'll call it the Rossiverse. Is Star Trek going to create something completely new in the Rossiverse? Or is there a part that you would say, no, we really need to go back and revisit this because that's a thing that hasn't been explored enough or that's a thing where we can tell stories that we want to tell? Uh, I am a firm believer that it should always go forward. It should always be next. What's next for, you know, we've seen the 23rd century. We've seen the 24th century. I think Star Trek should always evolve that way. I mean, there certainly there are a gazillion stories to tell, you know, um, I, I want to see captain Ron Tracy drain four phasers. <laughs> I, I don't know that I'll ever get that. <laughs> I'll get that delivered to me, but, uh, well, there, no, there's I, your theme I, park attraction right there. That's, you know. <laughs> right. Um, so no, I, I, I think that it should always go forward. I, you know, the, the thing with discovery for me is um, I, I don't understand why you want to set something in that time frame aside from you're telling the story that Spock has this sister, but the story could have been about Burnham without Spock, be, without that element. And you could have told the story without, I mean, the second you go back there, you are inherently putting your foot in it because of whether it's continuity, whether it's canon, whether it's design, you know, whatever the, the, the thing is. And, and uh, for, for the people who are new watching Discovery, and this is their first show or one of their first shows, and they're looking at that, that those design elements or whatever it is, and they're saying, hey, old people, you had your thing. This is our thing now. Don't worry about the design. Don't worry about the canon. Don't worry about... You know, uh, I can understand why why that's being said. But for somebody like me, um, the Enterprise will always be the Enterprise from that era. So, you know, it's uh, when when the Enterprise showed up on Discovery, I, I can objectively look at it and say, wow, that's a that's a pretty cool design. But there was another part of me that was just, you know, I know designers. They love to change things, <laughs> you know, um, because for the people on discovery who for the people watching discovery, they don't care what the enterprise looks like. I mean, they want it to look cool and, and they expect it to be there, I suppose, but they don't really care what it looks like. I, I, as it relates to the original series or, you know, a way of remastering it to obviously you can't just plop it in there, but there are textures and things you could do to, to upgrade the enterprise without changing its structure. And, so for, for those people who don't really care, they don't really care. But for me, I do care. And so from a fan standpoint, I, 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 from a production standpoint, I completely understand why they did it. It's a very cool design. 
I, I, I can't fault them that. You get the chance to play with the Enterprise. From a fan perspective of being a very passionate fan about that character, it changed in a way that, to me, just made it not the Enterprise, and I was kind of bummed. So, I, again, going backwards in time, t- telling those stories, I think you inherently, uh, not alienate, but you you uh, pour a little itching powder on on the folks who see things a certain way. But that's the, that's the trick with all of these franchises, with all of these, you know, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's the Marvel universe or star Wars or the DCU or whatever, whatever it is, each one of these characters, these shows, these uh, elements, they mean different things to different fans. You are never going to, you're never going to please everyone. So, um, you know, you, as a creator, you have to go in and say, I'm doing this for me, not for the fans. And you you put out what you're going to put out. So in that context, if it were me, I would always go forward because I wouldn't want to step on anybody's toes. Man, I feel like we're just getting warmed up and now we're out of time. So, Dave, we have to do this again. I'm hip. Until then, Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live, always knocking it out of the park, Earl Green. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including not just Mission Log and Mission Log Live, but Women at War, Priority One, The Trek Files, and your new daily Star Trek news. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look at patreon.com slash mission log. Some fun items over there, including early access videos to your weekly Mission Log. Thanks to everyone who joined us live or later, and we will talk to you next week. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.